As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Welcome to episode 9 of the Business of Aquaculture. This episode, we have John Homeyard of Offshore Shellfish in the United Kingdom. Welcome to the show, John. Hello. How are you? Very good. Thank you for your time for being here today. Their company, Offshore Shellfish, is an award-winning family-run business. Founded by John and Nikki Homeyard, who have been involved in the mussel and seafood industries for more than 30 years. They are building the United Kingdom's first large-scale, fully offshore, rope-cultured mussel farm off the coast of South Devon, a challenging marine environment. The development uses a combination of specially designed and adaptive technology to cultivate the native blue mussel, Metilus edulis, on suspended ropes at three sites between three and six miles offshore in Lime Bay, South Devon. Thank you again for being on the show, John. You're welcome. If you listen to our last episode, we have Wayne Murphy of Hatch.Blue talk about their Blue Revolution Fund and accelerator programs in aquaculture. Now, I wanted to start my questioning because I'm always excited when a family-run business is on the show because I'm on the same boat, unintended. So what got both of you, I mean, you and Nikki, in the seafood industry? Well, lots of things. The fundamental nature of what we do just appeals to me very much. I mean, it, it is farming in its purest form. There's virtually no inputs. I mean, the only inputs are equipment. There's no feed inputs. There's no chemical inputs, there's no medicines required, it's nothing like that. So we are fundamentally sustainable. And I guess the idea of producing something out of nothing really, really appealed to me. I had had an earlier career in construction industries and dairy farming and a number of things. So I had a pretty wide ranging background, which gave me maybe plenty of the skills I needed to be able to start. Also did a degree in marine biology and oceanography a long time ago now. But we started our first business up in Scotland in the inshore waters, very protected inshore waters, and it was successful. I mean, we were learning from scratch. There wasn't many sources of information. There was no one to go and ask how you did it and so on. So everything had to be invented from scratch then. As we grew, we could see that what we were doing was a really good thing in terms of producing food with no 
negative impacts, but also there's lots of spin-off benefits from what we were doing in terms of the habitat you create when you build a farm. And we wanted to get a lot bigger and we were not in a location where we could really grow any further than we did. So about 15 years ago, we started looking for opportunities to be much bigger. And whereas in Scotland, we were on a farm that could grow maybe three or 400 tons a year, we felt that there was plenty of market, there was plenty of opportunity to grow far more than we were doing if we could find the right place. And I felt that the only right place had to be offshore. Most of the inshore waters are relatively crowded. There's other things going on. They're not necessarily as pristine as they might be anywhere in the world, but including the UK. So we felt that going offshore was going to be the answer. And I spent several years looking at many potential offshore sites, both in the UK and in Europe and elsewhere in the world as well. And we eventually settled on the location we've got now. It's very interesting, this background that you're telling me, because it's almost like I was going to ask you, there's a lot of things that you mentioned there that I'm very fascinated about. Like first, you're talking about no feed going offshore, which are really ideal when raising a species. Where did you get the idea that you wanted to focus on mussel, not any other species? Because I'm also into shellfish, but ours is a king clam. But why is mussel? Well, I think bivalves generally, because they're filter feeders, they have to be the go-to organism, really. I mean, they're right at the bottom of the food chain. They're only one step up from phytoplankton. You can't get a more fundamental way of producing protein. And mussels do it very, very efficiently. I'm sure your clams do as well. The thing with mussels, you can crowd them in a lot tighter, perhaps, than you can with the clams. I looked at oyster farming and clam farming, and uh, it's like everybody else in my business. We have a look at what other people are doing. I think I came to the conclusion I wanted something I could move with a shovel instead of picking up one at a time, you know. But also just the scale that's potentially there for mussel farming. Also, over the last 20, 30 years, the production in Europe has gone down quite significantly for a number of reasons. Partly it's water quality and partly it's just conflict of interest in the various spaces that farms already exist. So this is why I went offshore, is to get the space, essentially. And in doing that, we found there's plenty of other advantages. The mussels grow better and faster with more meat, better shells, all that sort of thing. The downside of it is nobody's done it before in the offshore zone at any scale. There's been a few experiments around the world before we started, but no one had done it at the sort of scale that we were doing. So once again, we've had to develop our own ways of doing things. And the way I've done it is to look at what everybody else has done and pick the good bits. And then wherever we've got gaps, we've got to invent a way of doing things. It's not been easy, I have to say. It's very challenging. Weather is obviously a big consideration. And markets are an issue as well, because the markets have to mesh in with the weather, because mostly in Europe, mussels are sold as a fresh live item. And people who sell fresh live mussels want them every day, or at least every other day. And if you have a three-week gale like we occasionally get here, then you're going to let your customers down. So we've had to develop markets that don't mind having a hiatus in their supplies. Which leads me to my next question. It's very special when a business is family-run. And you mentioned a little bit about this. What are some of the opportunities and challenges with doing business as a family? (laughs) You can have your arguments in your own home, yes. (laughs) No, I'm very lucky that my uh, wife is... Well, she's been a seafood journalist most of her career and so she knows all parts of the seafood industry particularly the aquaculture side and certainly since we've been doing the offshore farm she's taken a bigger and bigger part of organizing of the business 
back when we were farming inshore, it was me on my own or me and two or three others at the most. So there wasn't too much sort of people type infrastructure and legislation to deal with. But now we've got something like 18 people working on two large boats. So there's a lot more considerations you have just dealing with the people. The legislation, of course, is very different for operating offshore. Um, So we've had to almost help create our own legislative framework. So that's been challenging, but that's where Nikki's been concentrating most of her efforts. My youngest son, George, he's he's the operator of uh, the offshore farms. He's got a background in oceanography, and he came to work for us once we started in the offshore site here. He had been helping me when he was just about able to stand on a fish box and steer the boat up in Scotland. And my daughter, she has also got about 20 years background in seafood marketing at an international level. So she's now working on our, our marketing side. That's really fascinating. I was going to ask you a question because you guys have such great accolades and it looked like you already cracked the code of what's the secret sauce in being one of the best aquaculture companies in the industry. And I was going to ask you what's the secret sauce, but your last statements, basically just working on some of the backgrounds of your family, it's almost like a really great estate planning. (laughs) You can rely on your family. Well, I can rely on mine anyway. (laughs) That's very important. My employees are very reliable as well. Don't get me wrong. That's not really an issue. But between family members, there's things you don't need to say. You can rely on somebody without having to have a discussion about it and putting it on paper or whatever. There's downsides of it as well. I've got a tendency to bring the business to the dinner table. Everybody else wants to just treat me as dad instead of boss or something like that. You know, So there's always issues like that, but we get over it and it's fine. It's very, very, I think, both rewarding and he's had obviously has its own merits and downside, as you mentioned. I, and I can totally relate to that because my husband and I actually have a game when we go on our date night that whoever doesn't mention work at the date table, there's like a brownie point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's something similar that goes on with us as well. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you can give us like a strategy, one strategy or tip for our listeners on how you did what you did. I'm very, very much amazed at how much you've been recognized as one of the best aquaculture companies. Is there like a, what's the magic wand? Never kid yourself that you know what you're doing. There's always an improvement you can make. You know, just keep everything you do, analyze it all the time. Is this the best way of doing it? Can I make it better? Can I make it quicker? Can we somehow or other improve the way we do things? And there's always an improvement. And anybody who gives up trying to make improvements is going to be left behind, basically. You know, When I started in Scotland, I, I literally started in a 14-foot wooden rowing boat, and my transport was a wheelbarrow. You know, We've now got two large catamarans that can bring in 50 tons a day. It does not happen overnight. There's been a lot of a lot of small improvements every day. You think of some way of doing things slightly better. The downside of that is when you're dealing with employees, you spend ages teaching them exactly how you want things. Then five minutes later, you change it and say, "No, actually, we're going to do it this way." So it's very good point. But yeah, never kid on that you've solved it or you haven't. There's always something better you can do. Sounds great. Well, thank you very much, John, for your time. My biggest takeaway from our episode in our conversation today is when you're talking about in this industry, sometimes you really have to be a pioneer in creating our own legislative framework. 
because we need to catch up in terms of regulations and sometimes our push in the industry is needed by the regulators themselves. So thank you for sharing that. How can they get in touch with you? I'm available on my website, offshoreshellfish.com or through email, uh, john at offshoreshellfish.com. If you go onto our website, there's some nice looking videos there. You can get a look at what the farm's doing. And yeah, happy to talk to anybody. Thank you very much again, John. And your website is a gazillion of good stuff. I've been really reviewing all of them. So to our listeners, I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture. Thank you again, John. Really appreciate your time today. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. And I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.